weekly podcast to update you on the volcanic activity of the week. I'm one of your hosts, Corinne Jorgensen. And I'm your other host, Alessandro Mosu. We are PhD students at the University of Geneva. We study volcanoes and we're here to give you all the hot volcano news. First, a quick update on some of the week's volcanic activity and then the focus of the week. And before we get started, we should just let you know that this is our season one finale. <laughs> really sadly. <laughs> yeah. We're taking a little break for the month of August um, to rest and recuperate and take vacation. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's summertime, but we'll be back in September. We'll talk a little bit uh, more about what's to come in September at the end of the, the podcast. But for now, now it's time of the quick updates. July 25th at the time of recording and this is your weekly well really two weekly update yeah sorry for no episode last week but Alessandra and I've been really really busy with work and some personal stuff but we're here now okay let's start with South America this week so as per usual we had a great showing for tallest bloom and there were some really strong contenders including Sangay in Ecuador with 7.3 km tall plume and Nevado de Rui in Colombia with 6.1 km plume. But not to be beat, Sabancaya gave us a 7.9 km tall plume on July the 20th. No, nobody is able to, to beat this volcano, it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Notable mention this week features Popocatapetl, Fuego, Reventador and Nevado de Sealand. In North America, we had some activity from Semis Pochnoi with a seismic crisis, typical for magma pushing its way up to the surface, and with some ash venting that went up to about 1.5 kilometers. Additional Great Sitkin in Alaska as well had about 50 meters of uplift in the crater, which indicates that there's magma rising near the surface, which was likely in place between July 14th and 22nd. But no eruption yet, and the alert level is currently orange. Just nearby Russia, we had lots of eruption from Karimsky in Kamchatka, where there are frequent harsh emissions and uh, some larger volcanic explosions. Savaluch is still erupting with some plumes up to 3 km, no doubt as part of the dome collapse, and few plumes from Ibiko in Paramoshi Highland. Okay, if we move a little further south to our Asian explosions, we have, as usual, lots of volcanoes that are creating ash plumes, such as Suonojima, uh, in Japan, which is also shooting out ballistics up to 400 meters from the crater. Ash emissions from Dukono, Lewotolo, and Sumiro as well. Sinabung in Sumatra, Indonesia, has been busy with ash plumes and several pyroclastic flows this week. The alert level is at 2 out of 4, and the public is warned to stay uh, out of the 2-kilometer exclusion zone. Now let's go to Tal in the Philippines. Uh, the volcanic arrest continues at this volcano with several volcanic tectonic earthquakes and high levels of SO2 emissions, but no eruption since July the 8th. The alert level has been lowered to 2, but the public is still prohibited from the exclusion zone around the volcano. Rafi, we haven't heard a lot from this girl in the last month with the last significant eruption on June 25th, according to the Indonesian Volcano Observatory. But there are some reports of explosive activity this week, uh, in, including a plume that went up to 3 kilometers. We have seen new activity this week from Sirung in Pantarhala, Indonesia, which last erupted in 2015. On July 22nd, the Indonesia Volcano Observatory reported a phreatic hydrothermal eruption. Ten hours prior, there was elevated seismic activity 
and then at 16.44 local time, an ash plume rose up to 2 km. The volcano is a 2 km wide caldera, which is often covered in lakes, and this has led to what is believed to be phreatic or hydrothermal eruptions. Finally, in Europe, uh, so Iceland, Fagradesfjall, the eruption has still been chugging along, but a recent report of the eruption from the University of Iceland's Institute of Earth Science has shown a decrease in the lava discharge. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean the eruption is going to end soon. It might. We don't really know. Friends of the pod, Elizabeth Panza and colleagues uh, will go to Iceland for some more measurements in August, so perhaps we'll have a cool update from her uh, for when uh, she and, and we return. This week we saw some exciting and different activity from Stromboli's usual activity. On the 15th there was a larger than usual eruption, sending lapillion bombs to the typical viewing areas of the volcano, which are now closed. Uh, strangely, there was not much of a seismic precursor, and as VolcanoDiscovery.com points out, it is a good reminder to us all that volcanoes are fun to visit, but they come with risk, and you take your life in your hands when you visit one. Correct. Last but not least, Etna. So Etna had a little vacation, a little break mid-July, but then started up again with some ash plumes up to 6.1 on the 14th. Then on the 15th, there was another paroxysm and a very powerful one this time. This started with lava flows and strombolian activity that eventually this transitioned into our lava fountaining, which we've been seeing, which reached 600 to 1,000 meters coupled with a 9-kilometer ash plume. Then on July 20th, another paroxysm with a very long and slow buildup, which eventually ramped up to the Strombolian activity and then lava fountaining, reaching once again 500 to, uh, to 1,000 meters tall, and a plume up to 10 kilometers. Aha! Bye bye, Savankaya. So, let's continue. <laughs> okay, as, uh, as always, thanks to our sources, VolcanoDiscovery.com and the Smithsonian Global Volcanism Project and the Indonesian Volcano Observatory. Okay, so now let's move on to the folk. Okay, so here we are. This is the last focus of this season mm-hmm. and for that reason it's going to be a special focus we are going to have a double focus and we're going to talk about i'm not going to tell you i'm not going to give you any indication i mean people might guess it from the title okay well i could put like a really cryptic title like the super special double focus and, and that's it Okay, so I don't know which title we decide for this podcast yet, but so you might already know the topic of the day or you might not. So let's start from the beginning. Okay, so since we really started our podcast, we've been looking at like, you know, all of these volcanoes that are distributed everywhere around the globe. And our volcanic formation is really related to to tectonic settings. So whether or not you have compressive or extensive plate margins or hot spots that within that occur within tectonic plates. We've all, we have also seen how dangerous is living in proximity of a volcano. Some volcanoes just entertain us mm-hmm. with beautiful firework displays as Etna, for example. Some others threaten dramatically the life and the society of people who live in these areas. And so you might think that because volcanoes have such uh, high hazards uh, associated with them, that there might be a, a very few amount of people who live in proximity to a volcano. 
But you'd be wrong. People who live within 100 kilometers uh, distance from a volcano that is active or has been active during the last 12,000 years is more than 1 billion. And moreover, the population density is not equally distributed in these 100 kilometers, but we can see that there's an increased density closer to the volcanic center within the first uh, 10 to 20 kilometers. So before continuing, I would like to open a small parenthesis on the recent uh, volcanic activity. Some of you might think that a volcano who erupted 12,000 years ago is no longer active, but it's not like so. Some volcanoes present uh, thousands of years eruptive cycles, and geologically speaking, 12,000 years is something like yesterday. <laughs> yeah, the period from 12,000 years ago to now is officially the same geologic epoch, which is called the Holocene. Like the song of Bon Iver, Holocene. Very, very nice song. <laughs> With this mesmerizing music video directed by Nabi Elderkin in Iceland. We recommend it. Yeah, so the Holocene is officially our current geologic epoch, but for some people, myself included, uh, they consider that this epoch has already ended and we're now in a new one called the Anthropocene. I think it would be very nice to dive in the future more geological aspect in our puzzle in our podcast like this one. Uh, I won't anticipate anything for the moment, but get ready for the next season, guys. <laughs> okay, moving on. So basically, the volcanic areas are often really populated, and the population growth rate increases uh, in the proximity of volcanoes. For example, in Southeast Asia, over the last 40 years, the highest population growth rate was focused within a 10-kilometer radius from the eruptive center. So the first question you might ask, will potentially be why? Why did people want to live near volcanoes? I guess maybe for the same reason why you would want to live near Etna? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. <laughs> volcanoes are not only the bearers of destructive eruptions, harsh earthquakes, tsunami, eruptive columns, obstructing um, air traffic and ash rains. They also provide nutrients to surrounding soil. Volcanic soil are pretty often very productive and able to sustain high population densities. There are also sources of economic activities such as uh, resource extraction, tourism, and geothermal energy production. So, so let's start from the tourism. What makes volcanoes so amazing to explore, in your opinion, guys? So we can make a list of all the amazing features that these, these areas present to us, uh, starting from our Martian to lunar landscape. The amazing fountain activity, for example, the one we saw at Fagradas Fial or Montana. Or the volcanic lightning in the night sky, or of course, blue lava from Kawaijin. Wait a bit, Corinne. What exactly is the blue lava. Okay, well, Alessandro, you know what it is. However, I just recently learned about blue lava. <laughs> Anyways, the geophysicist Simone Gabrielli wrote an amazing post by the EGU at GMPV blog on the colors of lava, reporting one of the most mesmerizing phenomena related to volcanoes, the blue lava of Kawaijin. This is not, of course, the only volcano which produces this blue glowing by night. This similar phenomena has also been documented in Ethiopia, but of course, Kawaijin is definitely the most iconic one. You might have already seen the incredible pictures acquired by Olivier um, Grunewald on the volcano, and if you don't, you should do that now, because they are just unique. Uh, what is captured uh, by this picture is an apparently blue lava glowing on the volcano. 
but as Simona underlined in her post, unfortunately, this is not lava. Oh, that's sad. It'd be so, so special to have blue lava. So perfect. <laughs> yeah, I would like to have blue lava too, Corinne. But indeed, the blue color are just flames from the burning sulfuric gases. The lava of Kawaijen is of the same usual hot lava color ranging from orange to red. As Simona explained in her post, the lava color can be associated with temperatures and might vary from dark red to bright orange, very close to white. Simona also reported other um, magma colors, the black and white lava of Oldenia Lengai in Tanzania, and well, okay, we're not going to give you spoilers for it. We'll put the link of Simona's post in the description, and we really recommend you go through it. It's, it's really interesting. But we also say double focus, not Corinne, so <laughs> it's time to switch topics. At the very beginning of the focus, we were exploring the reasons why people live near by volcanoes, and one of the reasons is the fertility of the soil. So volcanic soil is really good for uh, agricultural purposes, but we're really interested in one particular product, wine. The summer is close and the need of being on a volcanic island <laughs> with your feet in the water, watching an eruption maybe, and drinking very good local wine is getting bigger and bigger every day. <laughs> So Simona and Alessandra are currently writing a post on volcanoes and grind, but we're not going to spoil all of it yet. Uh, it'll eventually be up on the EGU GMPV uh, blog post, but also next season we're going to have Simona as a guest to talk to us uh, about wines. And, you know, as it's the holidays, um, we'll, we'll leave you off, we'll leave off this season uh, saying goodbye with some volcanic wine facts. So... Several of the parameters that might influence the growth of grapes, uh, from the soil composition to the soil texture, so the amount of clay or sand in it, but also the nutrients available uh, in the soil for the plants, and the topography, the climate, and several other factors. Today, we would like to tell you just a small story to introduce the future posts on the topic and the next year activities of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so in the late 19th century, an insect attacked and devastated vineyards around Europe. But not all of them have been destroyed, obviously. So, the insect arrived from North America, Haskorin, <laughs> and its name is Phylloxera vasatrix, which means the devastator, Ascorin. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, usually sandy soils are not the best for wine because they're not really able to retain nutrients very, very well. But in that case, uh, wines that are grown on exceptionally sandy soil manage to survive the, the plague from this insect. And uh, one of these sandy soils was from... Okay, Alessandro, I'll let you say this. Of course, Malhetna! <laughs> Potentially thanks to the low clay, high sand, uh, Russia, typical volcanic soil. Indeed, in nearby Hetna, there are vineyards very old. Mm. Very, very, very old. More than 150 years old. Mm. So, but um, a small story must be added. So... The grapes in the volcanic area of Santorini in Greece were completely and naturally immune to the insect attack. And is that thanks to the volcanic environment, Corinne? Who knows? And with this story, we say goodbye to you. <laughs> <laughs> 
such a teaser trailer, but I'm excited for when you guys have this this post out. We'll post it on our, our Instagram and our Twitter for you guys. Um, and of course, have Simona on in the fall. So, that's it for this week and this season, unfortunately, and this episode marks the season 1 finale. Uh, we have had 20 great episodes and we are really happy that people have been seeming to enjoy our podcast and we certainly enjoy making it. We are taking a small summer break for the month of August. But we'll be back in September with some cool new stuff, including a Twitter Spaces special with the University of Geneva's Faculty of Science on September 14th, where in addition to the news, we'll interview some of our Uniche colleagues live, so you could listen in and even ask questions to our guests, and we're, we're really excited about it. In the fall, too, we promise more interviews, more myth, and of course, more volcano news. You can follow us on social media at Volcano Watch to get any new updates. So, see you in September and have a great summer. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Okay, good.